0: Hi, and welcome to Make It Make Sense with Sareika Thanaedran Dharaman, a podcast that aims to demystify the less than transparent publishing industry by talking to authors from historically underrepresented backgrounds. I believe that the more we make sense of how things work on the inside, the less we feel as though we're on the outside because learning from other authors, editors and agents that have made sense of their journeys should hopefully inspire many more to embark on their very own. Each week, I'll be asking a new interviewee the things they've made sense of in their careers as well as anything they'd like to make sense of for fellow writers. I hope you enjoyed our last episode with Kasim Ali, author of Good Intentions, where we spoke about how he formed his resilience to rejection, his attitude towards editing now that he himself is a published author, and also his view on reading and writing constantly in order to become a better writer. If you haven't heard it yet, that's episode two of Make It Make Sense. As promised, I've put all the material from our two hour long conversation into a bonus episode for you today. Kasim wrote 21 different stories until good intentions hit. Here's Kasim speaking about his choice not to write from a perspective he authentically can't draw from. We also see how he struggled with that choice, as well as how it eventually helped to serve his characters and their own individual narrative.
1: Can I authentically write from that experience? And that's a question that I've had over the past couple of years as well, because I know that I know that reading it back, sometimes I think myself, I would love to know what's happening in her mind right now. Like, there's a scene where, oh, is this a spoiler if I say it? I mean, I'll say it and then you can decide in the editing and cut it out. Um, but there's that scene where he goes, she comes to Birmingham for the first time and she's really happy. She's so joyous to be around his hometown and see where he comes from and see the little places. And he's pointing the matter. It's like, this is where this happened and this is where this happened. And they go to the cinema, but he's so tense and wound up the entire time and then she says his name and he says don't say my name and i just thought god i want to i want to follow her when she walks away and she says how how could you do this to me and she walks away i was like i want to be with her right now i want to know what's happening in her mind um and so i know that i felt like that as a as a reader of the book and so you know it's something that i've been grappling with but i ultimately have decided and for point a which i'll i will i promise i'll come to in a second um I kind of was like, okay, no, I can't write from her experience because I don't feel like it would be authentic. It would be sincere, it would be genuine. I feel like it would be, I feel like I would be doubting myself the entire time. And, you know, there is a bigger conversation happening right now about who gets to write which stories. And, but then the other point I didn't write, the other reason, sorry, that I didn't write from her experience was because I was so consciously creating a story in which Noon is like the good guy, right? Like, the the book is called Good Intentions because he's got the best of intentions, doesn't it? He, like, wants to protect his family and he wants to protect his friends and he wants to protect Yasmina. He wants to protect everybody. But actually, he's a little shit. (laughs) And (laughs) what I wanted to do was create this narrative in which you get sucked into his perspective. You're seeing everything from his side. And you're thinking, my God, I'm, I'm so... Everything this guy is going through, my God, I feel so much for him. And then you get to a certain point. And that obviously I won't say what point that is, but for me, there's a turning point where you're like, Well, now wait a second. I know what point that is for me. And you kind of have this moment where you think, okay, do you know what actually there's something off about you, my dude? Like you are not a good guy. And actually you think you're a good guy, and you you are really well intentioned. Like you have the you're doing this to protect everybody. But I think actually what you're doing is you're protecting yourself above all. You're protecting yourself from being, because there's a conversation in the book about being the, the good son, you know, and that pressure from his parents of like, follow this path, be this person. And he doesn't do those things. And he's grappling with this guilt and this shame of having let his parents down. So there's all of that happening and dating Dating in itself, I think at one point he says to Yasmina, it's not just because you're a black girl, it's because you're a girl, it's because I'm dating. Um, That in itself is a disappointment to his parents. But then to add the black aspect to it, that's a whole other complex gray area. And so I think ultimately Noor is a person who is only interested in saving himself from letting letting the version of Noor that other people have of him being destroyed.
0: Sometimes you can write a story and be oblivious to where you're drawing your inspiration from. Kasim speaks about the pretty obvious connection to his mother that he completely bypassed.
1: means that no one in my family has read this book. <laughs> Even now, um, a lot of people in my family are like, I'll wait for the hardback to come, like I'll buy the hardback and I'll read it then. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to force you to, they're just not big readers. And so yeah, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Like it's it's kind of my life. But it, the funniest thing happened. So when I when the bookseller article about my book went out, I hadn't told anybody in my family about it because I was so terrified that I wasn't that it was going to drop. So the bookseller article was the moment for me where I was like, I can tell them now because Fourth State have publicly stated this book is happening. And I thought I cannot I cannot go to my parents and say I have this book deal and then it doesn't happen. How embarrassing. So, I waited, I think it was just under two months. And I'm speaking to my family the entire time. And I'm like biting my tongue and like trying really hard not to say anything. And it was awful. It was such an awful time. And then I came home in August because my birthday is in August. So, I went home. And this is like pandemic. So, you know, I waited. I I, sorry I wasted my flat all alone by myself I self-isolated because I was like there's no way I'm not going home for my birthday I have to tell them (laughs) so I got home and I I, um showed them the article and they were like oh my god oh my god this is so incredible and then my mom is sitting there she's looking at me a bit weird and I'm like what's up mom what's going on and she's like hmm hmm so her name is Yasmina, right? And I said, yeah, yeah. So so his name is Noor, her name is Yasmina. You know i always liked the name Noor. You know, it means light. I, I I love that name. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know my name is Yasmin. And I said, Yeah. And she goes, So why have you used my name? And I said, I haven't used your name. Your name is ja- your name is Yasmin. Her name is Yasmina. My mom goes, That's my name with an A at the end. And then I am sitting in this living room, having written the book like a year and a bit ago, my mind blown that I've used my mother's name as the love interest of my book. And then I thought, oh my God, I can't change it. It's in the article. I can't change it. I'd never occurred to me that I was using her name. They seem like such different names to me. Um, all I'm going to say is Freud is rolling in his grave right now. He's like, oh my God, let me let me come back to life so I can tell this man something about his psychology. One of my friends who I've known for 10 years, she was like, look, I didn't want to say anything. But I was thinking, why is her name your mom's name? And I thought you were doing something with it. I thought you were trying to make a point. And, and I was like, what is the point I'm trying to make? Like, why didn't you stop me? <laughs>
0: Now, I and a fair few others have spoken about Kasim Ali's mastering of dialogue. Interesting to hear how he's honed that to near perfection.
1: I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am a huge eavesdropper. I love listening to people. If the tube in London was like 25% quieter, I would sit and just listen to people talk. But I can't because I think it would destroy my eardrums. Um, but I remember when I was 16, 17, and I was going to college, and it was in Birmingham. And uh, back then, there was this, like, not a huge Starbucks, but it was, like, relatively big, and it was by the train station. And so there was a lot of in, coming in and out. And I would have these two, three-hour breaks. And quite often, my friends didn't have those breaks, so they weren't in that day. Um, so I would go to the Starbucks and just sit there, no headphones, pretending to read a book, and just listen to people talking because I loved doing that. I loved just being completely nosy. And so, you know, you'd get like your casual conversations. Oh, how, you know, how are you? I'm fine. I'm good. How are you? Fine. Those are boring. What was really interesting was sometimes I'd get like a breakup. That was fascinating to me. I'd be like, oh my, yeah. Oh my God. Like, because it was people coming off trains or like waiting to leave. Just listen to all of these people talk. And I've always kind of been like that. Like when I was a kid, I used to sit with the adults Um, mostly because I was like a really precocious kid who like uh, just kind of never wanted to play with the kids so I was much more interested in listening to the adults talk and I I think I've just always had this penchant maybe for like sitting and listening to people and conversation like I love talking like one of my friends (laughs) one of my friends she's like every time you send me a voice note it's like a 25 minute podcast (laughs)
0: I don't know about you, but I'm always intrigued by how covers are chosen for books. Kasim tells us a little about the US and UK cover and how they came about for Good Intentions.
1: So actually, you, the, the cover process is so fascinating because um, my editor came to me and said, what are you thinking? And actually, I'll be honest with you, what I, what I said to her was because I'm so infatuated with chapter two. Um Love that chapter. Uh haven't said it enough times. I say it again and again. Um, but I said to her, what I love, I love the idea of like, and I even said to her, I was like, I know this will be expensive, I'll I'll pay some of it, like I would love to just do this, um, was to hire, like, like not hire, but like find a young black woman, a young South Asian boy, man, young adults. Um so weird. Why do we not want to say young South Asian man? Something about that sticks in my mouth. <laughs> um but I wanted to find two people who looked kind of like Yasmina and Noor and have them sitting um, on, like, I could see it in my mind and I can see it right now, have them sitting on, like, some stairs just talking to each other. And, like, the there's, like, the blur of the party behind them where you can see people around them, but the focus is just on them talking. And the reason being was because I was like, A, it's really filmic and I love films, like, I watch films all the time and I one of my one of my things, and I was like, how can I turn good intentions into my career as a filmmaker? Um, (laughs) Yeah, shoot high, right? Shoot high. Um, But it's very filmic, and I love that. I love that. But also, I was like, I can't think of a book that has that pairing on it, and I would love to do something like that. Um, And then we had this conversation about photographic covers and how they don't really work for books, and people are put off by them. We had this big, big conversation about it. Um, and so then I was like okay so maybe we could pull some of that energy and pull it into like an illustration so that's kind of where we landed on and then uh, weirdly the U.S. they just said to me can you send me some covers that you like and I sent them about 50 (laughs) with like a paragraph the each one where I was like I love the colors in this I I love the way that this looks and this looks and the people on this one and the line here and I love the font honestly I went a bit I did a bit too much um yeah i think my editor came back to me i was like this is a lot thank you thank you so so much and then they came back with this with this drawing this was the first thing that i saw um which is like these two kind of amorphous shapes holding each other and i loved it so the u.s one happened really quickly and then the uk one we after we had that big conversation about filmic covers and photographic covers and all that kind of stuff, we waited quite a while. And then they sent us, yeah, they sent us this, this cover, which is the illustrative Noor and Yasmina. And I lost my mind and I was like, this is beautiful. Oh my God, it's like modern art. Such a beautiful cover. And the only thing that I said to them was, um, it's such a small thing but he had quite a white person nose. (laughs) And I, in my description of him, I'd written that he had the curved nose. And I was like, can we make his nose more Asian, please? (laughs) I don't think they saw each other's covers because they were happening at the same time. So they came up with these covers separately that really complement each other. and That blows my mind. I don't know how they did that.
0: As I mentioned before, Good Intentions is Kasim's 20-second submission. I asked him where he found the inspiration for his debut novel after writing so many stories.
1: It had this idea percolating for a really long time of like uh, anti-Blackness in the South Asian community because when I was a kid, I have this incredibly vivid memory of this Black girl I was friends with at school. And so it was her and I who were getting in trouble at school because we were so awful. Like I remember we were reading Macbeth and at one point I think Lady Macbeth said something like drink, drink my womanly milk that had us dead for weeks, weeks. We were making jokes about it. Um, And so I, 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 had such, such adoration for her and we were such good friends. And I remember I would walk her back to her, I would walk her to her bus stop and to walk her to a bus stop I would have to go all the way out of my journey home and then have to come all the way back around so instead of it taking me five minutes to go home it would take me like 45 (laughs) but I did it because I just wanted to hang out with my friends and one of those days my mom drove past and I saw her license plate and I thought oh shit she's just seen me with a girl she's gonna she's gonna get so angry she's gonna you know shout at me so I was walking home not wanting to walk home (laughs) And I got home and my mom's obviously already there. And then she goes, who was that you were walking with? And I was like, oh my God, that's my friend. Um, I was just walking her to a bus stop. We were talking about some stuff and I just walked her to a bus stop, that's all. My mom was like really silent for a second. And then she says, you shouldn't hang out with girls like that. And at the time I thought, I think she's, I thought, she's talking about girls outside of my family. I can blanket all girls who are not related to you you shouldn't hang out with them. Cause that was something I'd heard before. <clears throat> it was only years later when I was at university and I was telling the story and I can't remember why I was telling it, but one of my friends went, Oh my God, she was being racist. And when I tell you, it felt like the world had completely just shifted under my feet. Cause I'd never thought about it as being a black girl. I just thought it was a, a girl that my mom was warning me against. Um, and I had that conversation with her and she couldn't remember. She couldn't remember saying it, but I was like, oh my God, but you did. And then I just thought, leave it. Like, there's no, why am I doing this? But it stuck in my head. And it was one of those moments, one of those kind of life-changing moments for me where everything shifted in relation to this realization. And so I was like, oh my God, we've been talking about Black people in a way. That is awful. That is awful and we treat them awfully, and we say all these things, and we think all these things, and I think we're racist. And it was this awful realisation, awful, awful realisation, where I was like, holy shit. Um, And so I'd always had this idea in my head, and I'd always wanted to write about it, and the funny thing is, is I never thought I was a good enough writer to write about it. I thought it had to be like a very... Very literary, very academic texts that would explore stuff in a way that I just didn't think I had the skills for. And so in this moment, once Diana Evans had said my story was good, I was sat there and I was thinking, I'm going to write again and I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to do it. And this would be for me and it will just be because this, this feeling is so good and I remember that I love to write, so I'm going to do it what I'm going to write about, I'm going to write about this thing that I want to write about forever. And it's not going to be the great American novel, you know? It's not going to be this big literary thing that's going to win the Booker or go on to do, you know, a thousand million copies or whatever. It's going to be a sweet little story about a young romance. And through that lens, I'm going to explore the anti-Blackness in the South Asian community. Because also, what was happening at the same time was I'd watched a couple of films and TV shows where the interracial relationship was a white person plus a non white person. And mm-hmm. I just was like, it's not interracial doesn't mean white plus something. Interracial means interracial. And so, why mm-hmm. am I not seeing um, conversations? Why am I not seeing TV shows, films? Why am I not reading any books about a non white person plus a different non white person? So that conversation was also happening in my head. So I just married those two concepts together. And I wrote this, I kid you not, in six weeks.
0: As a writer, you become used to hearing about how to handle rejection in a myriad of ways, but Kasim is someone I found that has an endless drive in him. He talks candidly about the multiple rejections he received and how he picked himself up to write again, as well as, ironically, a very detailed and kind email from a particular agent that actually made him stop writing for a short while.
1: So all of this, um, I started working in publishing when I was 20, one yeah 21 just about turn 22 so like a year or so outside of university i began working in publishing and so all of these moments are happening kind of at the end of uni throughout my publishing career um but i wasn't working at penguin i was working at a super small indie and i was away from my family and away from my friends because I was living in a place I'd never lived in before. So I had a lot of time and my commute was a 15 minute walk to work. So I would come home at like 5.20 and I'd immediately just start writing. And that was it. I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing. I'm not watching anything. I'm not reading anything. I'm just doing this. And then from like the first week of March to the second or so week of April, that's all it took me in twenty nineteen uh, twenty eighteen. Sorry, wait, 2019. I think I'm in 2019, <laughs> um, and it was done. It was done, and I sent it to a really good friend of mine. She read it. I was like, "Oh my god, I love this book!" And we would start talking. She's she's black, and she's a little older than me by like a year or two. And we talked endlessly about it for like days. We were like constantly just texting. And I was like, and then this bit happened. And she was like, "I know." And then this bit happens. Um, and we were really excited about it. And then she said send it out, send it out, send it out. And I was like, oh God, but I'm still in this moment where that rejection hurt quite a lot because it was too nice. And can I send it out? Can I send it out? And then I thought, I thought, effort, it, I'm going to do it. So I sat down and I found three agents who I deeply admired. And I sent it to only three agents, which before I'd been sending it to 20, 25, 30, just blasting it out. This time I was like, Super specific about why I'd written it, why I thought it was a good fit for them, the authors that they had on their lists that the book was related to. And they rejected me, all three of them, within that same week. And they rejected me with very basic rejection emails, just like, this isn't for me. Thank you for sending. And I was like, uh-oh, I'm sad again. <laughs> um, so I left it. I left it. I thought, okay, okay. And then I was I was like, you know, I wrote this for myself. Let's just let it be that. It will just be this book I loved writing. And it's reminded me of why I love writing. So let's just start something else. Um, so I kind of did. And then two separate things happened one another really good friend of mine who works in publishing sent me a competition by his chef called the most future and prize and was like enter your book into this and i said no and they were like i'm not accepting your no i will submit it for you and then i was like okay fine i'll do it so i submitted it there and then a another really good friend of mine who ironically she rejected me for a job in publishing and I being the very stubborn person that I am emailed her and I was like we got along so well in this interview how dare you reject me and then she said can we go for a coffee and I said yes and I met her and now we've become like extremely good friends like I have so much love for her um and in one of our conversations I mentioned this book and I was like and then it got rejected by these three agents and she said send it to me so those two things happened quite um same time frame I then got long-listed for the competition. And then this friend of mine read the book and was like, this is incredible. And I'm not just saying that because I know you, because I would never lie to you. And I said, I, I know you rejected me for a job. I know you would never <laughs> lie to me. <laughs> I'm really glad that I got that rejection because the rejection meant I was trying. And I remember reading this LitHub essay. Maybe it was Lit Hub, I can't remember where it was, but it was a few years ago now. And it was a an American writer talking about how she was terrified of rejection so much that she never did anything and then made a change to her life and she decided she was going to try to get a hundred rejections in a year or something like that, some sort of number. And she ended up, I think, getting those hundred rejections, but then ended up getting like 20 or something like that, 20 yeses. And was like, and she was talking about how rejection is not, it's not something that, um, I'm like butchering her words now. Everyone should go read that essay; it's really great. (laughs) But she was talking essentially about how rejection is not something to be feared of. Do not run away from rejection. Take the feedback and fold it into your next work if you choose to. I think there was a part of her essay that was like, not all feedback is feedback. You should take on, and sometimes you have to know yourself. You have to know yourself and know what what it is that you want to do. Um, But rejection is not something to be feared of, and that is how I've. That is, I think, how I've been treating this my entire life just without realising it, which is when whenever I got those first rejections, I just was like, let's go do the next one. Let's take some of this feedback that we've gotten. and let's go do the next one.
0: I also asked Kasim how he knows what type of feedback to take on.
1: So if somebody came to me and said, your dialogue is bad, I'd be like... <sighs> you're completely wrong, sir. I'm so sorry, but you're wrong. And I do not accept this opinion. But if somebody came to me and said something about my descriptions, I'd be like, you're absolutely right. My descriptions are not great and I need to work on them because sometimes it does feel like a script. Sometimes it does feel, because I love dialogue so much. Um But yeah, like I, so it's, it's really, it's, it sounds like a really arrogant thing, but I think it's something that I've worked on since I was a kid of just knowing exactly where my strengths are and never allowing somebody to tell me that they weaknesses um my therapist would be very happy that i said that
0: kasim gives us advice on how to come back from rejection like he's had to multiple times this is also on the original episode but i think it's worth hearing again
1: i have this like endless resilience in me because i am really stubborn and so i know that for other people when they get when when they get rejected it can be really hard like i've seen those conversations on twitter and almost always i just want to reply to those people and ask them the question what is it that you're writing for which is not a piece of advice but just a question that i would invite a lot of people to ask themselves because i know that i'm sitting here and i've got a book in the uk and a book in the us and to some people that's it i've, I've made it um so maybe my advice is coming from not a place that they they want to hear it but I have always 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 asked myself what am I writing for even when I got this book deal it was a question I was asking myself and a tie to that question is who am I writing for because the answer to the question what am I writing for is I'm writing for myself because it's really fun and I love doing it I love sitting in writing and creating people and Like, surprising myself as a writer, because there are so many things that happen in Good Intentions that I never, I never thought were going to happen. And they just sort of happened. Like, that's so much fun for me. And I enjoy doing it so much. So that was the what. And then the who I'm writing for is, I always, always knew that I was writing for myself. But in that, I'm writing for people like me. And... I think that that is kind of what's kept me going as well. Like, yes, I'm really stubborn and I have a lot of resilience. But also, if I'm not going to, I think there was like a really, there was, there's a moment where I sort of realized or kind of told myself really that if I stop writing, then my book, my writing, it never reaches people like me. Um, and so I think, I think, yeah, my advice would be like to If the rejection really hurts, sit with it. Absolutely sit with it and let yourself feel that pain and let yourself be sad about it because it is a thing that can make you sad and absolutely should and your feelings are completely valid. But do not sit in it for too long. Sit back up, step away from it and consider what am I writing for, who am I writing for?
0: We also speak about Kasim's own imposter syndrome as to why his book was published and how he got through that.
1: I'll be honest with you like sometimes I think was my book only published because it happened in the peak of the Black Lives Matter movement and there was a rush in publishing to get more diverse voices onto their list sometimes I do wonder that and I've had this conversation with my editor quite a few times and every time she said to me yes and no yes in that we were wanting we were having those conversations about diversifying our publishing lists but also your book was really good And it just happened to be a book by a non-white person. It wasn't that we saw it, oh my God, he's a Pakistani Muslim, let's buy him. It was, holy shit, this book is so good. And then we're going to buy it based on that. But also you are that, and we can't deny that of you. We can't erase that from from your personhood. But that wasn't the sole reason we bought this book. But, you know, I did have that worry for a little while, I did have that worry of like, is this is this a really good book or is it just the moment? Um, and I say that to say, if you keep going and you keep working at it, because also my other piece of advice to writers to get better at writing is is twofold. is to read more and write more. Always. You just constantly, you constantly just have to keep pushing yourself to read. You, if you read more, you're learning almost unconsciously what is working on the page because you will know what works and what doesn't work. Then, if you write more, you're learning more about yourself. You're learning how to become the writer you want to be.
0: I asked Kasim Ali, who is also assistant editor at Penguin, whether working in publishing helped or harmed his attitude towards rejection. He also helped shed light on why manuscripts could be rejected at different stages of the process.
1: It's a bit of both. Sometimes, yeah, you know, I work at a very commercial part of Penguin. And so I see white writers get paid an awful amount of money for books that I do not think are that good and so when you're going through rejection and you're in that space you kind of think my goodness, my, my, my my good is booked than that my book is better than that um and you kind of get that you kind of have that moment where you're like oh my god maybe I'm just really awful maybe I'm just really bad because if this book that I've read is bad is being paid so much money what's wrong with me um so it is harder in that sense but then it's also easier in the sense of like the flip side of that where i read a book that's incredible beautiful writing whip smart characters my god it's incredible it's made me feel so many emotions and then they're like "Mm, no you can't buy that because of x you can't buy that because we already have a book like that coming out at this point or our autumn is too packed already or the us is publishing it in three months and we can't match their timeline like so many Completely, like to the outside world, ridiculous statements um, about resource and effort and time and money and capitalism but blah 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 blah. That that makes me feel better because then I'm like, oh do you know what? Actually, <laughs> there are all of these unknowns. There are all of these. Unknowns. And so I do worry sometimes when writers take on rejection and they, as you said, they make it the whole thing. The whole, you know, the whole point of their writing is to get published and then they get rejected and they're tearing themselves down and they're criticizing themselves so much for it i'm like but the agents who rejected you maybe they've got too much on their plate right now so maybe they're rejecting everybody unless something really truly incredible comes in which so often does not like one time out of a million does something like that come in which makes you drop everything um maybe they've got Three authors who are writing the same book that you've kind of written, and they're already worried about placing those authors. So, why would they want to take on another one? And maybe sometimes it's just simply that agent understands that they are not the right agent for you, which happened to me quite often. You know, I was sending these books out, and now I can recognize that why was I sending a literary book to an agent who does mostly commercial? It's not in the right space for that, are they? They're not going to know the right editors. They're not going to know how to pitch the book properly because it's not what they do. Um, so there are just, there are endless reasons. And I think writers, because it's such an isolated, solitary thing that we do, I think writers tend to focus on, they're rejecting me. But it's not you, they're rejecting. It. They're rejecting the products that you created. Because at the end of the day, if you want to be published in a very traditional way by a corporate publisher, it's a product. Like, my book has a barcode on it. It's got a price tag. <laughs> Um, it's a product that is being put out into the world and there are so many reasons why a product is not going to work. And so alongside my like ideological, ooh, what are you writing for? Consider, your, uh, consider if you have good intentions. Um, my other piece of advice or actually just uh, a word of learning, warning, I don't know, is that this industry, you know, it's so easy to say no because of all those factors. And so quite often, it's not you. Quite often, it's not the book. Quite often, it's a myriad of other factors that you will probably hear and think, wait, they're rejecting it because the timeline doesn't fit. (laughs) You know, and, and maybe that can be harder to swallow, but I would hope that it makes some people feel better to know that. There are endless reasons why an agent doesn't accept your work or why, you know, you could be sent out on submissions to 10 publishers and they all pass.
0: So that was our bonus episode with Kasim Ali, author of debut novel Good Intentions. Kasim will join us again to shed more light on his role as assistant editor of Penguin, where we dive into the reasons why books are picked up and others are not, as well as other topics that hopefully help make this industry more transparent. If you enjoyed this episode of Make It Make Sense with Sarika Tanendra Tharaman, I would love if you would rate, review or subscribe to the podcast to help others find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Make It Make Sense.